Hello, Joel here. I've got a new book out. It's called Be Funny or Die. How comedy works and why it matters. And it's about how comedy works and why it matters. Why human beings tell jokes and then what that tells us about being human beings. So if you're a human being and you enjoy laughing and then want to know what the hell's going on with that, it's probably a pretty good book to read. It's called Be Funny or Die. It's in shops. You can buy it. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. podcast about comedy. I'm Jason Hazley. And I'm Joel Morris. And as usual, we're joined by someone who makes comedy to talk about something funny that they love. By taking it apart, maybe we'll learn something about how comedy works, or we'll just quote bits from it and giggle until we're finished. Both approaches are valid. Our special guest today is Tom Davis, who is best known for Murder in Successville and Action Team. Hello, Tom. Hello, Jason. Hello, Joel. Hello. Welcome. You're also well known in the scaffolding industry, I understand. Oh, massively known in yeah. the scaffold. Yeah. Uh, but you got, you got a BAFTA for scaffolding, didn't you, at one point? <laughs> yeah. Best yeah, supporting actor. <laughs> It was a scafter. <laughs> Best supporting builder. It's, yeah. uh, I think I'm the only scaffolder or ex-scaffolder to have been on a BAFTA-type stage. I think it's just basically White House. Paul Whitehouse was a... I plaster. think he was a plaster. It was a plaster, yeah. wasn't yeah. it? Yeah. So me and Whitehouse have bonded often on, on talks of, of building sites and such. What did you... How did you get from scaffolding to comedy? Well, James Defond, really. It was uh, James and me have been friends since we were like 13 or 14. Who directs successful. Murder and Successful and Action Team, and, and now we have Shiny Button together. Um which is our company. It does sound a little bit at times like some weird little West End club. Yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, we, uh, so yeah, we, we basically used to go, I'd, I'd sort of, I sort of put my toe into sort of stand up and we went out and we used to start making these silly sketches and, and giving them to, to people and uh, Shane Allen and Lee Francis had seen them and, and they gave us our sort of start really. Um, but yeah, it was, a, I mean, it's a, it's a weird transition and, and const- up until Murder and Successful, weirdly, I constantly thought, oh, at some point this is all going to just turn to shit and I'm going to be having to go back into the calf and go, yeah. anyone got any scaffolding work? <laughs> <laughs> Still might happen. It's, it's a great humbler whenever you walk around London, you go to a meeting or whatever and there's some scaffolding going up and that does spur me on 
to, to get as far away from it having to do it as I can. It's great. There's a, the question that you've probably been asked this. Uh, I certainly know I've been asked it a few times. Which is how how do you get into comedy? And there's never there's never one answer to that because no. all you can do is you can tell people how you got into comedy. You know, because it's all. I was thinking like the Simon Pegg meeting um, Nick Frost. He was a server in a cafe or something, yeah. wasn't he? And, and and Simon said, "This is just one of the funniest guys I've ever met." So just get him on board, and suddenly, yeah, he's a great actor and he's a great comic. I you think, can come in from any direction. And I can't think it's weirdly the, the people that you sort of find. I mean, I, I still look at scaffolding and think some of the funniest people that I've ever met or ever worked with. You know, are, are from that background. Like my dad is is a very sort of blue collar guy. He's one of the funniest people. You know, not you know he knows exactly what he does in almost plays a character now at times where <laughs> yeah. you know but i constantly get asked it by especially now younger kids and weirdly the thing about it is pretty much is hard work and luck it, yeah, I, I that's it yeah. constantly you need both yeah 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 one doesn't work with the other because yeah. you see a lot of hard working people who don't get anywhere and you see a lot of lucky people who get a chance and and somehow mess it up because they don't work hard enough but i i always just think if you get up and and you know like you two are great inspiration on that you, you get up and even if you're you're looking for other avenues if if, if stand-up isn't going great you know or you haven't got a script that's going on you, you should be at all times pushing angles so you've got work coming in because this is a full-time job and, and we've all got wives kids to feed so you have to look at it like that it's you know i think with you guys with with books and whatever it, you two are always busy there's a reason for that because you've worked hard enough to be in a place that people want to work with you when I mean, you're lovely blokes for most part, uh, <laughs> he's, he's nice. Yeah, I like, I like him. Um, he can, he can like come him. back, <laughs> but no, you know, but that hard work and, and that luck and they're they're important. And that but, someone but, someone said to me that what you should be is you should be hardworking enough so that when you're lucky enough to be asked to do something, you're able to do it. Yeah. So basically, when someone comes and asks you to do something, it shouldn't be the first time you've ever done it. As in, you did it a lot of times for no money first, so that when someone comes to pay you money for it, you turn out to be surprisingly good at it. And that's where the luck turns into sort of yeah. That's career. that's just being match fit, isn't yeah. it? Basically, yeah, that, that's what happened with me was me and James have been out doing these videos that you know we were kind of doing. It. James wanted to direct, I wanted to act, and then when Lee Francis was doing. Uh, um, Shimon Selector, which was the sort of death of that cat. Michael Jackson had died. He was doing the death of that character. He had seen these videos and he turned around and said, "Look, Tom, I want you to play John Landis." And it was the first thing I'd ever <laughs> done. And I sort of came in and because I'd done so much stuff just making these videos with James, I sort of knew how to. Because being on stage is one thing, but then working the camera and knowing how to work in front of if that be, if I'd never done it before, all those times for free, I'd have fallen apart. You know, I wouldn't have. Yeah, known, of you know, And but I had I was a bit sort of match ready really. No, I, I still feel lucky and I feel humbled that every day I get up and this is my job. Yeah, you know, I, I get to mess around with you guys in a room when we're doing murder and successful. I, you know, lots of people I work with now close friends and and that is certainly anything that i've sort of made that that's been a you know a product of sort of murder and successful action team or, or that you know even with when i was in paddington with with, with paul and people that it's really hard to turn that on that sense of fun and that sense of comedy and that sense of and paul king actually is a really good guy at doing that he makes everyone feel so comfortable it's amazing it's, but the, the yeah. huge product the huge production he's trying to keep Incredible. on the rails and he's still so nice and it's still coming so much over fun having a joke him. making you comfortable and it Weirdly, you can't just turn on that kind of... That's the episodes of Murder and Successful I'll look at and go, oh, they weren't as good. Are usually episodes where the people behind the scenes, like just between scenes, weren't as much fun as, you know, Deborah Meadham was, you know, as people will say, oh, she took that really seriously. I was like, well, she was, she was fantastic. But actually, when the cameras weren't rolling, 
she was inquisitive she was joking she was she was really having a good time because you can't turn that on you can't mm. everyone needs to be enjoying themselves whether it's scripted improvised whatever it is and I think you can always see and I can certainly see the stuff that I've been in that I've turned up on the day and there's just this air of no one having fun and, and it's this is just a job let's just do it and it I think it's lightning yeah. in a bottle you're trying to capture something yeah yeah, yeah. but the real magic is when the camera or the, the microphone catches an inescapable feeling of everyone rolling into into yeah. laughter or trying to hold it in and successful is brilliant for that because it actually has got a whole cast of people who are trying to keep something on the rails that at any moment could collapse oh, into giggles it constantly feels like it's it's gonna fall apart but weirdly it's <laughs> do, you if, push it, do you push it towards collapse when you're yeah, doing it yeah like if you say capturing lightning in a bottle the, the only way of doing that is sort of creating a storm in a sense <laughs> where you're going to get it and, and true that's yeah. in a sense what successful is because along with the lightning you're getting rain and you're getting hailstones and sometimes things aren't working. I mean, like, I think the thing that made the show, I'd sat with you guys, you guys have come up with the the, um, the Jamie Lang, me in his ear. And it was obviously always a funny joke and we had funny stuff. We knew that the Optimus Prime stuff, uh, Optimus Prime stuff was funny. <laughs> we knew all that was great. And it, that, that scene where he says about the pigeon and the stone, that went on for like, I think we were just recording for like 10 minutes of just us chatting and me pinging stuff at him and seeing how he reacts. The moment I turned around and said, uh, you know, you kill a slug. And it was a mo that moment where you're like, everything else is unusable. It's just nothing. But that throwing enough at it, enough shit at the wall if you want, for that thing to, to, to be the thing that made the show work. And it, that you're, you're forever then going, actually, sometimes we, we, we're going to run these scenes for ages. You know, you see members of the crew going, you know, I don't know, going to throw at this. Um, but in my head, I go to every scene going, right, We, I need that thing. A nugget like, of yeah, gold yeah. is going to bake. And every episode has to have that laugh. And that's what the beauty of it, and that that set the standard, really. And you having, know, having the faith to keep pushing it out, I'm talking to Diane Morgan about doing Kunk. When she does the interviews with the experts, they are often an hour long because yeah. you're not a waste. You're not wasting a, an expert's time. If you book them, you use yeah. them for as long as yeah. you've got them for. You've got an hour of talking to them, asking them stupid questions as they get tireder and tireder. And it will be very often for the series we just did with the history thing for one line for, for yeah. less than like 10 seconds. But as long as you know you're going to get that 10 seconds and it's somewhere in there to have the faith to keep pushing that that then edits down the, the expert looks good Diane looks good the script looks good but you've recorded so much to get there and it was just not losing faith that that gold was in there somewhere you're going to get that thing and that's what I love about that new Kunk series and, and, and what I, I mean I'm I did one of my first ever jobs with Diane and I think she's just a remarkable she's talent great, oh, she? she's Fantastic. A, brilliant but what I love about what the Kunk thing is and and, uh, and uh, what we did when successful is it's never look making the other people look stupid no like the jokes always on diane or me i think our generation there was people would sort of run before us had been that sort of thing of like these you know hidden camera shows where people do some pretty atrocious things and i was always really against that thing. I, I did a pilot once where we had to go into a restaurant and and stage this big argument type thing and everyone in there is like a real punter and I was like, I don't think I can do this. Because we've all signed up. We all want to be comedians. We all want to be on TV. But there could be a guy in there who's breaking up with a girl. There could be a, yeah. a family who've just lost someone. We don't know. Have you been for every table? No, you haven't, because it's meant to be a surprise. So I can't do this. And they were like, you know, and in the end, I got another guy to do it. The joke can never be on them. It has to be, I've signed a, I've signed that contract to go, yeah. I'll always be the fool. I'll always be the idiot. They shouldn't have to be. I think that's important. I think that's important with comedy in general to remember who, who wants to be the butt of the joke yeah. and, and who, sometimes who's forced to be. And I think that's an important thing. I think that the, the worst part of it was that 
I'm obsessed with watching Bullseye back. My honeymoon, my wife got really bad food poisoning. I sat and watched Bullseye. The moment where people would come onto that show, they just went for pretty much a good time. And that thing at the end, it goes, have you had a great day? Oh, we've had a great day out, Jim. We had a great day out. And there's that's been lost now because, you number one, you wouldn't get those sorts of people, those characters on something. Because I've done shows now where they're like, oh, we've got a member of the public. And he, the guy turns up and I'm like, you know, he's been on TV more than I have. I've seen him on three or four different things. He's got a fucking bigger IMDb than anyone I know. Now everyone knows how to work a camera phone. Everyone knows how, like, I could film anyone in the street. They've done stuff, you know, they've done a message for their grand. They, yeah. they know almost how to play their version of them in front of camera. So you never yeah. get that real thing. Like, you know, you watch those old episodes of Bulls, like people are going... <laughs> And gulping and, and not knowing quite what to say and stand, standing in, they're not camera savvy so you'll, you'll get no, Jim pulling no. them around and going oh no you're not going to stand there and it, there's a beautiful thing and it, it you know someone asked me a, a number of years ago about would would I want to do a remake of that it, you know Bullseye if they brought it back would you do it and um, and I was like but it would never be the same just that's no. one thing leave it where it is because actually the old ones are as entertaining as anything. So, obviously, Tom, you brought for us Bullseye as your uh, no, thing to look at. I should, have, I, should have, I could have brought Bullseye. <laughs> no, I, t- tell us what you brought, what we brought from the world of comedy for us to have a look at. I've, I've brought the last uh, ever episode of Wonder Years. It's it's something that weirdly, and it's I sort of see everywhere, like every in lots of different things I do. Uh, it's one of the few things that sort of stayed with me. As as that, I, I sort of probably only I watched it when it came out. I probably watched it once since, and it's just beautiful. I have this beautiful memory of it, but it's the only time I can ever really remember a sitcom or something like that being sort of finished off in such a perfect way, and also finished off in a time where I was almost growing old enough to, to walk away from from giving my life to Wonder Years. It was the tea time show that you'd watched over yeah. six years, and then to go right. Well, I'm gonna, you know. What would you do if I sang out of tune? Would you stand up and walk out on me? me ears One of the reasons that the Wonder Years finished, it did six seasons. It was a, a single camera, American family coming of age sitcom yeah. set in the late 60s, early 70s. And they finished it after six seasons. And one of the reasons they gave was that the kid was growing up to a point that showing his life aged 18 would have been a post-watershed show it would have to stop when he stopped being suitable for family viewing <laughs> and then weirdly that that last episode it was it was kind of that last episode was just the stuff he's doing in it and where that was almost them saying that yeah this is the end of his childhood this yeah. is the last yeah. times that he's ever gonna listen to his dad and for most for the most part his dad had been this sort of you know everything his dad said when he, he was his daddy's boy type thing and and that sort of moment he rebels against his dad in, that in, in the most amazing way in the opening where he rejects his dad's bag of pants <laughs> which I think you're doing the, the, the cards on the wall for what the scenes yeah, are yeah. Right. reject dad's bag of pants is a pretty definitive <laughs> index card in any plot it's in Save the Cat it's a classic plot <laughs> It's a massive plot line anywhere. <laughs> it, it all happened in Star Wars. It was Darth would give him a bag of Luke, pants. These are your pants. <laughs> <laughs> no! <laughs> I was in the only relationship with my dad where 
I knew that sort of I'd grown up you know, of an age where he started having my hand-me-downs. Like my dad oh, would, God. yeah. <laughs> like he started wearing my old school blazers to weddings. <laughs> like he just took them to wow. <laughs> the wow. Took the badge off them. Like, That's fine. We've got another three years out of this. Um, yeah. oh, my mum gave me one of my dad's suits once and said, you'll like this. It's a really nice suit, you know? And I said, oh, thanks very much. Yeah, and I unzipped this thing from his suit bag. And I said, when did he, when did he last wear this? And she said, oh, I think it was... Um, what was that conference he went to? Nineteen seventy-three, and it was this. Wow. It was this burgundy suit with like lapels the size of airplane wings. You know, it was just this gigantic thing, and I thought, "There's no way I can't. I can't even wear this ironically. It isn't even possible to be ironic in this suit because there is no way I can wear this without basically just plastering myself in total ridicule. It and can't be done." <laughs> And Old Spice, yeah, obviously. Um, this is, uh, do you know what struck me about this? Is that the same thing that you just lighted on then? It's really hard to do a last episode of a sitcom because a sitcom is a loop. You have yeah. to reset the characters and go back yeah, yeah. to where they started every week. And if you try and then impose an ending on it, it looks arch. But fucking hell, this one is done so oh, well. Man. This it's might be the best last episode of a sitcom I've ever yeah, seen. Because when I was chatting to you boys about doing this, I, I looked at this and I looked at Quantum Leap as the two. And actually, that the so when I was looking at them, and uh, Quantum Leap is actually not finished. Finished. I don't mm. know if you know the ending mm. of it. He step, he lets Al return to his normal life, right? But yeah. then Sam Beckett goes back, and it's like Sam Beck. You know, Al settled down. He had three kids. Da da da. Sam Beckett never returned home. So in exactly that thing, you're like, well, this isn't over then. Yeah, the loop's um, still open. Yeah, yeah. it's it. still going. Whereas, like in Wonder Years, it's like a rubber stamp of of like. This is it. This is the this is the end type thing. That beautiful. I mean, I used to know it off by heart, but that beautiful the end speech that he does about his it's dad incredible. and and yeah. that you know yeah. um, the weight you know, the weight uh, of it. I, I timed it and the amount of narrative weight that's on the last three minutes of the oh, show. Yeah, and then you look within that and the la- amount of narrative weight that's on the last sixty seconds. Yes, yeah. it's holding you in a state of suspension about what's going to happen next, about who's going to get who, yeah. about what's going to happen in the future to all these people because you watch them grow up. And until almost the last second, you're still not sure about anyone. Yeah. And then it finishes and you go, ah. Oh. The, the lovely bit of, because you've heard this guy speaking for for six years, the, the old Kevin yeah. Arnold. Talking about his yeah. past, yeah. basically. And then yeah. the, that moment of him, you know, a house like any house and a yard like any yard. And I look back in wonder. And then you get the thing of going, hey, Dad, are you going to come out? I'll be right there. And the thing is, after all these years, I still look back with wonder. Dad, want to play catch? I'll be right there. Because weirdly, they copied it for Eastbound and Down, pretty much. They do it the, again. The end yeah. of Eastbound and Down is him at the typewriter. All the way through, you've heard one voice, and there's no idea that there's a there's a life and what out, I loved happening is, now. Also, what I loved is the fact that that moment when the camera's pulling out, and it's like he's in that in a house talking to his dad, and he says, "A house like any house, a yard like any yard." And what's a great thing is at that moment you go, "Oh, is that your house as a kid?" That we're looking at, or your house now that we're looking at. I watched the Wonder Years when it was first on. I don't think I watched to the to the the end. So this is the first time I'd seen the the finale. 
and I was thinking, God, it's set 68 to 73, and there's yeah. lots of period detail in it. But the reason I think it was accessible to a British audience, and obviously in America it's going to be huge, it's got sort of yeah. peanuts vibe to it, like yeah, growing yeah. up in, in the Midwest, in the suburbs. But when it pulls out at the end and it shows you that road, you go, that's the road from E.T., that's Spielberg's. Yeah, yeah. This yeah. is now and then. And Spielberg's suburbia is the suburbia of his childhood, even yeah. though it's set in the 80s. And the fact that Fred Savage looks a bit like Henry Thomas from E.T., yeah, yeah. this is a, <laughs> yeah, world, does, this a world I completely recognise because I'd lived so much through the childhood of Spielberg movies, yeah. Poltergeist, those kind of things, that I recognise that street, even though I didn't grow up there. I know the layout of an American it's, house. It's a weird thing that when you're growing up in... In England as well, and and and, and you, you know, I I didn't grow up in anything as, as sort of twee as that. That becomes almost something that you look at as. I remember watching a Wonder Years and thinking, oh man, I'd love his life. Mm. Yeah, and and yeah. Well, I was watching a big basement with yeah, things yeah, in yeah, it. yeah. I mean that moment <laughs> yeah. where he used to go, and also you know, his relationship with Paul. And you're right in saying it hasn't dated. No, and the reason it hasn't dated, I think, is this is the beginning of making sitcoms like this yeah. with no laugh track, single camera with a drama, with warmth, with sentiment, and it's influenced everything. I kept thinking how much it reminded me of adverts, yeah. now use this language, which is the passage of time, yeah. the vision of a family. When they're trying to sell you banking, or they're always showing you a family through the years, and you go, and it, and it punches you in the guts like a John Lewis yeah. advert. It's the same techniques, the music, the acoustic guitar. It's like a John Lewis a, Christmas advert. I could never remember, I mean, maybe, but like anyone using that voiceover as much as they... No. I mean, there's, there's, there's a great, I think it's in... Maybe the series before the last one, where he gets the job in the hardware store and all his other friends have got better jobs and <laughs> he's got this old guy. And, and again, what they did so brilliantly is they made the sweetness of things where, you know, and I think the old guy dies and, and you know, you, it's and Kevin's basically sort of feels guilty because he's left the place. And it, it, it really did that thing of, and, you know, I, you, again, you could watch that with such sort of cynicism and, and you actually, you really, I, I embrace it. I think it's so... The, the last moments where he's sort of talking about him and Winnie and you know and I mean this yeah. is a spoiler but god it's 20 years old if you want we can do because yeah. we've, got, we've got to talk about the ending of this yeah. and I think the way it plays that out because it's a will they won't they story yeah. Winnie it's is the, Winnie is his years. sweetheart yeah. they've been running six years will they won't they and right till the end because you think this is the episode they do a bottle episode they trap him and Winnie yeah. in a car and then to make the car even worse, they both get thrown out of the car on the side yeah. of the road and you go right now we're going to see the two characters we wanted to know do they get together yeah close up trapped together for the last 15 minutes of the episode and right till the end you think they're going to split yeah. up and then you have that beautiful moment of, in the VO where he's like you know when he goes off to Paris right yeah. and, oh, and when he left the next summer to study art history in Paris still we never forgot our promise we wrote to each other once a week for the next eight years I was there to meet her when she came home with my wife my first son, eight months old. What and I love things, ne things never turn out the way no. you planned. Yeah, 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 yeah. What a great line. line. And it's yeah, almost like great. he's talking to the audience and saying, yeah. I know you wanted this to happen, but in reality, this is my first love. Yeah. It won't necessarily be my last love. And that, and also that moment comes, like in this montage at the end, like his, his brother goes to Harvard and his sister Karen has a baby and things. And in the middle of the montage, he kills his dad. Yeah. Oh, that's, and dad yeah. died two yeah. years later of cancer. Yeah. You're going, whoa! Yeah. And he, like, his dad's still on yeah. the screen yeah. and you're, you realise that his dad, you do the maths in your head and realise that his dad would have been a granddad for about a year. Yeah. And the tragedy of, of, of him seeing and his dad And the moment when granddad. he says that and he's sitting and sitting opposite his dad and, yeah. and you see because what I loved about it is it, and it they never made it too smaltzy where and it is that I have that relationship with my dad 
I've I've let my dad down. I look at it sometimes and think, well, I look at that one of the years, and you never necessarily sit and go, I'm, so, you know, you'll say I'm sorry for being a dick. If you don't sit and talk about it sometimes, yeah, you just yeah. know that you really mean that. And actually, what's great is that last moment where you just see them both having a coke, and yeah. neither of them have said this. You know, when he first turns up at, at the Fourth of July, and they just nod at each other, and it's a really sweet, sweet moment between mm. them. But then they're just sitting there, and it's all been forgotten, and they're laughing, and it's just, and it's perfectly written chat that you have with your dad of that you know you're going to be a granddad grey hairs a lot and he's just like yeah you know laughing and what was brilliant with with that as a, a character his dad and over the years is weirdly the mum grew loads she 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 was really like and Wayne his brother grew and his sister you know went from being like these sort of like this free you know free love sort of hippie type thing to sort of a you know but weirdly his dad was almost the world changed and, and it's still now with, with men is that Years and years ago, a guy didn't have to do anything really around the house. You, you went to work, you put your feet up, you didn't do your washing, you didn't do it. But also more than that, if, if stuff got, you didn't almost argue because if things got too annoying at home, you'd just go out to the pub. And it was a really, <laughs> but it's like, you know, and, and now, you know, and rightly so, we're all in touch more with, you know, you wouldn't cry, you wouldn't, you know, you just get on with it because that's what everyone had done. And especially a guy like that, you just go out and go, right, fuck it, I'm going to, you know, do what I'm going to do. And now we all, I suffer anxiety. I, you know, I'm constantly in tune with how I'm feeling. Yeah. So, and I'll, yeah. you know, but guys of that generation aren't. Guys of that generation were told not to. It was kind of, you know, and, and what I love about that show is that he, they, they kept him almost the same for it all. It, and, and the one first, person yeah. who didn't ask any questions, the one yeah. person who didn't change. But the one person, weirdly, when he, the chips were down, you'd always see the dad come in and he'd never say, he never shout at him. He'd never be, you know. It was like he was always sort of there, but he, he'd never sort of it, sort of explain it as much as he probably could. And it's a really interesting thing of a blue collar character that just sort of you know is there, is there and muddling by the best he can. And he's sort of yeah. I, I feel probably up there with my favourite sitcom characters. There's an episode in the first series where he goes to work with his dad, yeah. doesn't he, to find out because he says to his dad, "What do you do all day?" And he says, "Shovel other people's crap so you can eat." So he goes to his dad's office with him, and he sees his dad, who is the head of the family, who's the guy in charge, being balled out by his appalling boss. And then you realise, oh, fuck, this is what he... This this guy, the dad, brings home with him every day, the fact that he gets treated like crap at work, doesn't he? And then you think, wow, there's a whole midlife crisis sitcom going on in here in yeah. the background, you know, yeah. with a minor character. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. 
PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50% to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mother's Day is just around the corner, and it's time to pamper the special moms in your life. And what better way than with Osea's limited-edition skincare sets, featuring clean, vegan, cruelty-free products that are safe for your skin and the planet. Osea is a women-founded, women-led brand that's been making seaweed-infused products for nearly 30 years. This Mother's Day, Osea has two limited-edition sets, perfect for gifting or keeping for yourself. Their Golden Glow Body Set includes three clinically proven bestsellers for silky, smooth, glowing skin, while the Glow and Go Facial Set has everything she needs to achieve spa-level results at home. They're so beautiful, you can skip the wrapping. For a limited time, you can save up to $48 on Osea's sets, plus get free shipping. That's Mother's Day made easy. Pamper the moms in your life and get 10% off your first order site-wide with code MOM at OseaMalibu.com. That's O-S-E-A Malibu.com code MOM. But weirdly, I, I, I look at the work that, and the, the characters I love to play and the characters I love to write, and actually I think fuck, it all kind of started with sitting <laughs> watching Kevin Arnold. Because what was great is that, you know, he, he sort of, he wasn't wacky. He wasn't like, he was a put upon, even as a kid, he was like kind of self-deprecating. Yeah, he was yeah. like the, the misfit, the loser. What was beautiful, and I kind of suffer from that, I guess. He was just trying to find his place in the world. Mm. And when he started secondary school, was kind of his first sort of series. Or you know, he 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 wasn't a jock. He wasn't a brainy kid. He was mm. just this kid trying to find where he fitted in. And that was a beautiful, such a well-observed thing that it's timeless, really. You yeah. Sit and you, you know. what, what it's got, I suppose, and why it's a probably a revolutionary sitcom in the sense of now when you look I think when you look at a sitcom now you can see the effect this must have had on American yeah. sitcom because it's it's not an audience it's not studio the closest thing I think immediately preceding this would probably be Roseanne yeah. for getting a family I mean the, the dad the patriarch the sort of the gentle helpful yeah. but sort of rock like man in the middle of it lots of it it shares with that and then you can see the line straight through from this to Malcolm in the Middle and Freaks and Geeks and yeah. lo- loads of shows that bo- have got his DNA in it 
But I think what's interesting about it is it's got it doesn't have big wacky characters in it, no. which would have been essentials for any sitcom that was relying on a laugh track. Yeah, I mean it was a weird thing as well. If you like when uh, Chris Rock did his show, everyone hates Chris. Mm. Mm. Was literally right. This is works. Let's just do our version of it. <laughs> yeah, and, and, it. You know, even if you looked at Superbad and anything like the, the films that I love now, yeah. Rock, you know, these films sort of have those moments. And, and there's, there's even the grammar of it reminded. Uh, I, uh, when I was watching it, I thought, "Fuck, I've heard some of these lines in Scrubs." Yeah. Which is very similar. That even those, those, just those lines. I and there you had it. You know, and you go. Yeah. Well, that's a, that's the line. That Scrubs borrowed that line. You know, or and yeah. then it hit me. You go. Yep, yeah, that's you, oh, all. This stuff was ported into to pastiche and go. And that's when I knew I'd come the full circle. It's the classic yeah, yeah, Wonder, yeah, yeah, yeah. Wonder Years line. But that VO, which I think I was trying to think of a sitcom that had a voiceover before, and I think they wrote this originally as a screenplay. Yeah. for a film, and the VO is fairly common in that. But I think this is the thing that that breaks open the possibilities of treating a sitcom like a novel it's like a coming of age novel there's a narrator's voice which you then hear in Arrested Development and Scrubs and things as a way of getting an extra layer of jokes and also just moving the action at an extra pace because that helps it go faster you can tell people are thinking it's a bit of an internal monologue and that's what how you can end up with something here which I think is enormously influential which is the short drama yeah. half hour drama this is a comedy but it tells you a story over 22 minutes, which is basically the what Netflix is full of. Yeah. These little half-hour dramas. It's, it's the future of, of storytelling. Of course, not Netflix. And the other thing I find is it's kind of weirdly, actually, it's so in those six years that he grows, his life becomes less funny. Life is significantly <laughs> more funny when you're 10 than when you're 16. You How know, old were you when you started watching this then? I must have been... I, I think about the right age? Yeah, yeah, about the right It must have been secondary school. I remember, like, coming home... And I remember it being on... It was on... on Channel Four, I believe, on a, on like a that sort of tea yeah. time slot where yeah. Hollyoaks and things sit now, um, and, and it was religious viewing. It was, it, you know, even I think if you watch The Simpsons, there's elements of. I think there's a, of, there's a of, line through there as well. Yeah, mm. and weirdly, so when we were doing Successville, we were always because you're never sure if you're ever going to do another series. Sort of series one, we knew, kind of knew there was a series two. Series two, we didn't. So we ended it with him getting shot and then having the scene with uh, <laughs> Kerry Godleman and then the final series well not the final series I shouldn't say that the, the last series on BBC Three that we've done we were like uh, right how do we end this and and I was like oh we should end it like Wonder Years like that really <laughs> so it's him and Ramsey having this long discussion about life and uh, as Ramsey leaves like uh, hey Ramsey if you're uh, you ever have a son and he burns a hole in your carpet in the living room uh, just just go easy on him huh <laughs> live from back to the future which I just love the fact you uh, you know you throw that in and it just had this because weirdly the, the idea of sleep playing it like it was yeah. the last episode that he'd know about and, and then switching all the lights off and, and but playing uh, with ideas of warmth yeah now because this feels like I, you've seen this everyone is attempting this when they yeah. always say what well, likability and warmth in our characters yeah this is doing it almost like feels like for the first time it feels really fresh yeah the strange thing is watching it and trying to remember that this wasn't how sitcoms no. were done. They, yeah, they'd done yeah. moments like this in Cheers and in, 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 in MASH and things like that, yeah. but always with a laugh track and an audience behind it, and it didn't feel like watching a movie. Because the final Cheers was, was Sam switching the, the lights yeah, off yeah. in the That's bar, right. wasn't it? Yeah. That was, yeah. And that was, I mean, that was, again, something that we looked at. But I think the Wonder Years' thing for me is it's like that, yeah, like now where we're in a, in a world where we're starting to go, right, how do we do something that's a bit more mainstream? How do we go into a world of doing that? And if I was to go, right, what's the best thing that I think depicts like how I grew up, like my family, 
would be the Wonder Years. I look at it and I think, even though it's it's, it's a million miles away, I look at it and think, yeah, I, I was kind of that kid. I I had Can trouble, you know, and- you know. And then my dad was kind of like him. My mum was, you know. Uh, she was a nurse who worked for the NHS, but then from there she she set up like a gardening business, and she was sort of dynamically going out and and, and was you know she became like a uh, like work of the Labour Party, and she was out and about you know which when you grew up in an area that I did, which was pretty much all conservative, was like the worst thing. <laughs> Are you, you going to come home, Mum? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You, you were like, don't do this. He was like, Neil Kinnock needs his word. We need to spread the word of Neil Kinnock, and everyone else is a Thatcherite in South <laughs> London. It's like fuck off. Your mum was around our house. Like, last night telling us to vote for Kinnett and you're like oh god you get the feeling that when they were writing that they were looking back at their lives in the 60s and the 70s and now when we we look at the 90s and it feels like you know 80s 90s feels like so long ago like and and how much culturally we've changed but they were on the precipice of change then and, and by the time this was out you know sort of found their place in the world but the 60s and 70s in America was more important arguably than any other time in American history it was uh, so you've got yeah. a very mainstream show aimed at a very yeah. family audience but it can have all this stuff in it about like, like Mad Men can about yeah. the change of, of the times and things but with the writing as well you, you're not you're not sitting there and it's not swearing it's not you, you're asking questions you know constantly and what, mm. what what it did brilliantly was that could be asked within that household like yeah. the father stood for one thing, the the mother stood stood for another. But then even as it went down, the sister and the brother were were completely. You know, the brother was like you know almost you know like would, would be our version of you know Thatcherite. You know, he was sort of living the American dream, whereas sister was you know anti-war and and I suppose like a, like a hippie and um, so you have the Woodstock. arguments within. Yeah, so within you, the you've family. constantly got and then you, in the center of it all, you've got Kevin, who's going oh, I don't really know what I want to be and who I want to be. So he's everywhere around him is culture clashes, you know. And I remember there'd be scenes where they just it's him and his dad playing basketball in the backyard. And there's a weird part of the Wonder Years where sometimes I'll think of a memory, and then I'll go, "Cool, was that from?" Because we 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 like, after with the Wonder Years being on and like being tall and gangly, I insisted upon having a basketball ring put in our back garden because <laughs> you knew you'd win. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> against anyone else, it's going to be easy. Um, fucking hoops, no problem. So, uh, and then I used to sort of try and sort of have moments where me and my dad could sort of have, have you'd stay games used to one yeah, um, <laughs> And my dad would uh, would go, "I'm not playing that. I'll just get a fucking goal out and do football." But um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or having to explain the rules, which is a bit you never saw. Yeah. No, 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 no. You know, like, that's three points. Um, but there's there's something lovely about those that sort of sitting back and me- remembering that as a show. <laughs> it was a pretty hard pass. Well, uh, yeah, I I think it had sort of a reverse spin on it. Come on, Kevin, stop gabbing with your girlfriend. She's not my girlfriend. It's interesting you sort of saying about you growing up in somewhere that's very different in terms of what it looks like and the era and everything, but somehow the truth of the show is that family dynamic feels real. Yeah. You can recognise it. And I had the same relationship growing up with, with Peanuts, with Schultz uh, comics. I used to read them and think, that's my life, even though none of the details of it were like my life. And I wonder whether some of it is to do with whether it's through the eyes of a child. And most sitcoms about families before this would have been through the eyes of the parents and the children would have been side characters. And what this has got in common with Peanuts, it's from a child's eye view and the grown-ups are a bit wah-wah-wah-wah-wah, slightly out of view in the background like they are. And that's only possible if you've got um, a single camera show 
because of child labour laws. You can't keep the kids up late yeah, night yeah, recording yeah. a sitcom in front of an audience. But you can get Fred Savage on set to have the whole thing through a child's eye if it's made like a film. Yeah. And it feels like I was watching it again and thinking, this is quite remarkable as a family sitcom in that you could watch it as a kid, but it's not a children's programme. It's for the whole family. And maybe that's what feels real, is that the experience of being a kid's pretty much the same anywhere. Because I remember watching it with my parents and, and, and them, like, you know, enjoying it as much. But that's, yeah, I guess that's the exact point of it, right? Is before that, you know, Everyone Loves Raymond or whatever was so much from Ray's point of view. And, the, and if you're watching that as a... As a youngster, Fred Savage in it is incredible. Are you, you really, he was the youngest yeah, actor to win a, an Emmy for Best Actor. I think, yeah, or and really, yeah. rightly wow. so, because his his way of conveying the different emotions of of, of a kid of that age, and weirdly, I, I think the first two series are quite, you know, they're quite funny, and you're a bit like Diary of a Wimpy Kid or whatever. Mm. And I think there must have been a moment where they were like, "Wow, this kid can." he can really go to different places as an actor and I remember sort of series three or four they're like ladling on these really big like <laughs> emotional scenes and then you think fine that, that Christ like because oh, he, he was obviously in The Princess Bride he was amazing yeah. in that but then you think Why, what happened there he directs now doesn't he, he directs Modern he's Family production and he directs, directs, he's, he's direct, behind the camera now he directs Modern Family he's directed yeah. three or four big episodes of that it's almost like he knows how to make sitcoms Weirdly, his episode of Modern Family, from yeah, from what I remember, it's the the first one he directed was the episode with Phil Dunphy and his dad, who's played for, by Fred Willard, and and it has smacks of of the Wonder Years all over it. <laughs> really, because actually, weirdly, actually, there's one show that you can look at and go, that makes me feel exactly how the Wonder Years used to. Is Modern Family? So right. with sitcoms, very often there's a lot of stress on the sit, and people will say, yeah. "I've had a great idea for a sitcom." And why has no one done one set in a in a vet's? Yeah. And you go, well, the idea, the sit doesn't matter. Yeah. Because they're all about families in one sort yeah. or another, whether it's the young ones or, or, or uh, 40 Towers. They're about a dysfunctional family of some sort. Yeah. So basically, if you've got what is the most vanilla form of sitcom you can do, which is the family sitcom, yeah. then the question is not what's it about, but how do you make it? What's the form? And also, who's in it? Yeah. Who, who are Casting, the people? Craft. But the characters, it's like, mm. you have to, like, I think when, when the great sitcoms that I can think of, you know, Fools and Horses or yeah. Modern Family, where, when you open your door and you, it's, it's where I think soap has started to fall apart because you, you're opening your door to these things and you're saying, right, I'm going to spend time with these people. So actually they've got to be people that you want to spend time with. Yeah. Mm. Or they've, so they've got to stir an emotion, whether it's love or hate, you annoy, you know, you're, they're annoying or, or you know, that you, you want to be them, whatever. And, and I think that the modern family actually is almost up there for me with, with, with Wonder Years. But the characters are so well-defined. They're so brilliant. Phil Dunphy is uh, incredible. But you want to spend time with them. Yeah. That, that question. Yeah. A friend of mine who's a film lecturer came up with this brilliant theory, which I've not heard before, so it might be his. Uh, I called uh, Andrew Mayo, who sort of lectures in film as a film journalist. And he said there's two sorts of film story you can tell. One's a horizontal story, which is the kind of 
the hero's journey. They go for a mission. They go to find the secret papers and bring it back. Yeah. That thing, which is always taught in film schools. So then the other story is a vertical story where not much happens. But in the opening scene, you meet some people and you go, I like them. And the next scene is another reason that you like them. Yeah. And the next scene is another reason that you like them. And you hope they might fall in love or, or rob the bank. And then by the end of it, you really, really like them. And all yeah. it is is a pile of reasons you like them. And oddly, something like Butch and Sundance is just a pile of reasons why these guys yeah. are nice. Or with Nan and I, a, a bunch of reasons you want to hang out with these people. And they're just... There's something about sitcom as a as a story form that doesn't have a beginning, middle, and an end. Where sometimes its best form is just a bunch of reasons you enjoy hanging out with Del Boy and Rodney. Yeah, will do as a story. Yeah, but that's the thing. Sometimes is I mean I'm sure you guys have have, have been talked to about you know about scripts and I've, I've certainly been said stuff that's like oh this thing's set in in a pub or this thing's set in you know a, 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 a garage or whatever it's and you actually sit and look at it and you think well that's fine you've got the setting but none of these people feel like they've got any love in there you haven't yeah. sat there and crafted the characters <laughs> mm, you haven't yeah. they're not matched. people you know or they're no. not people you feel you know or the people exactly. you want to know and they've, got to, they've got to give a shit about each other haven't they that's yeah. the really key thing it's yeah. like you know it's exactly it it's, it's the fact that it's a similar relationship I guess the the, the dad from uh, granddad now in, in Modern Family his relationship with Phil his son-in-law you know, he loves him but he finds him frustratingly annoying as soon as you get married, you realise that, that your relationship with your father-in-law is exactly that. You know, they've brought this girl up, they've they've given her, you know, their advice, they've hoped that she's going to follow along, and now they're putting her into your capable hands. My, my father-in-law constantly questions every choice I make, down to, like, if I turn around and go, oh, we're going to Portugal for on holiday, and he's like, oh, yeah? Why are you going there? You know, why don't you go to Seville? You know, have you been to, thought about going to Seville? Because like, we're not going with you. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, Anymore. Yeah, and I'm sort of... Not like, after last time. Yeah. <laughs> There's a weird relationship you know between me and and him and that's what i love about modern family and and i think when karen first gets a boyfriend in in wonder years it's that thing of him being like no one's ever going to be good enough so yeah yeah for the first time you're the guy he's looking up going i mean for me from when i brought Catherine, my wife home my parents were like fucking to her are you sure like (laughs) that's always a nice moment have you checked everything else on the shelf (laughs) 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 you're sticking here on 13 the Um, other the other other great thing that this that this does in its ending is it gives you the ending that but the ending that you think the audience would go no they're meant to get together you know they're meant to get together and they don't but it's still a happy ending yeah which, and it, I'll tell you what it reminded me of. It's only just occurred to me. There's a if you if you've never seen it, you should look at it. There's a great film that was made for Channel Four in 1984, written by Jack Rosenthal, called Patangyang Kipperbang. Incredible title. Yeah, one of the first things ever on Channel Four. Yeah, one of the probably on the opening night, Channel Four maybe. And it's a young boy who's about 13 or 14, and he's in love with a girl in his class, and. He really wants to kiss her, but he's obviously never going to get anywhere near her because he has clammy hands and that kind of thing, you know. And he eventually ends up accidentally falling into the school play with her and he gets a scene where he has to kiss her. And they go into rehearsals and every time they get to the kiss, the teacher says, right, okay, move on, next scene. So he's only got one chance to kiss her and it's in the, fu- it's in the actual performance in front of the whole school. He gets a chance... And he can't bring himself to do it, so he just shakes her hand instead of kissing her. <laughs> and it's lovely, because at, at the end, she then chases him after the play and says, why didn't you kiss me? Don't you like me? And he's, he, he's overwhelmed with feelings for her. He can't bring himself to kiss her. He That's just lovely. can't do it. It's absolutely beautiful. And they do the same thing then. It's a happy ending. At the very end, as a cricket commentator, a very famous one, his name, I can't remember now, Jack. Charlotte. 
John Arlott, that's it, saying he went to the wicket a boy and came away a man. You know, it's <laughs> wonderful. Because, but he's he's happy with it because he's sort of grown up in some sense, yeah, even yeah. though he didn't get the thing that you think was the only thing he wanted. It's the way to it's the way you can play a will they won't they, especially in a coming of age thing. Where yeah. the point is your first romance probably won't be the no. the one that lasts forever. And they play it brilliantly in here because you you want them to not be together even though you want them to be together. And especially because he's got this beautiful line that Winnie says, where at the moment the hinge where they've rejected each other, they've fallen out, and he thinks, well, that's it, we're never even going to be friends. And she just, he sees she's crying, she says, I don't want it to end. Yeah. And part of you <laughs> goes, that's the relationship. And part yeah. of you goes, as an audience member for the Wonder Years, I don't want it to end. Yeah. It's the feeling yeah, everyone has yeah. in the last episode of a yeah. show. And she's saying, this show is running on the motor of us two. Yeah. And if we stop being friends, this show's over, but we don't have to fall in love and have kids. We just have to end well, on good what's terms. What's lovely is, it, you know, the bit of it that he's written to her and he's written to her. And you kind of know at some point in those letters, one of them said, I've met someone else. Yeah. And this is, yeah. I've unseen. moved on. Yeah. And, it, and it's thing. that beautiful thing of, and, and you know, I... Christ, like anyone you sort of look at like the first person you loved and the, the first I, I weirdly bumped into that that girl not so long ago and you're like Christ thank God <laughs> well, for both of us yeah yeah, yeah no yeah because you know there's a yeah, brilliant yeah, one of yeah. these a show that's enormously indebted to the one which is Freaks and Geeks which, yeah. which I adore and the brilliant thing with the dream girl in that where they play that for 17 episodes uh, uh, and then towards the end he finally goes on a date with her she's the cheerleader the whole setup has been he's going to get her and he takes her to go and see Steve Martin's The Jerk and she sits there going why are you watching this stupid film why is that man doing stupid stuff and he realises she's the worst woman in the yeah. world for him <laughs> and they bother to play that and he goes oh I'm actually I'm not better than her but all that putting her on a pedestal thing was worthless because I never knew her yeah. I'd ne we'd never spoken the whole point of this is I didn't know who she was yeah. now I know who she is it's I realised that we're not meant for each other. And they played that for 16, 17 episodes, the whole series, and it ended the same way as this, going, maybe we have to move on. But also interesting, because that, that is, again, so brilliant, but never had that ending. Like, or mm. never, certainly never let, you know, I mean, people who were in it and wrote it have done okay mm. since. I've <laughs> <laughs> so nicked to live in. Um, no, but they've been, you know, but you think, God, like, if that had given that chance for that to well, grow. Uniquely, like, they knew they were going to get cancelled from about show five, Freaks and Geeks. And they? they wrote episode 17 and go, well, this could be episode 28 or it could be episode 10. We don't know. And they had it ready to go so that it would end with, a ve again, a very Wonder Years influenced ending where yeah. they all go off and you see what they're going to do and they move off. But they had it written so that when they went, the axe fell, they still got a chance to make it. It's also, weirdly, Tom's broken the furniture. I'm breaking the chair. It's also, weirdly, when you've seen the ending of the Wonder Years, you, it gives you something that you want everything to have answers at the end of, of a film. Or yeah. A, you know. yeah. So, for example, um, uh, Three bill Billboards. I love yeah. that film. I thought it was brilliant but there's a part of me that wanted a wonder years end ending i wanted to know what happened when they're in that car i wanted i wanted answers i, I, didn't, I wasn't enough for me a service you can sign up yeah. for. me and sam rockwell drove 200 miles and we killed that pedophile dead um but it's i mean it's weirdly shawshank redemption as yeah. that exact voice for yeah. the whole thing that whole that whimsical sort again, of... Again, that's from a book. I think the, yeah. the thing that makes this great is that there's this as a genre, the coming-of-age American novel is a pretty big thing. And this is done as a sitcom. It's sort of shoved those two things together. It's even got the thing that is in all American 
He's coming of age dramas. He's working at a resort, which appears yeah, to be a yeah. thing that all Americans do. <laughs> I never worked at a resort, but everyone in every novel I've read worked at a resort or or an adventure park or something. And it's even got that in it. But it's got whiffs of that thing and that author's voice. Yeah, is very classic American coming of age novel. Oh, that story can never get old, and I think that's the universal thing that means it. It's set in any town USA. Yeah, deliberately they don't name where it is, but it's anywhere if you were broadly sort of of that class or age. Also or- globally, I think like there's moments of it that just it could be any of us. It's one of those nice things that you can think that there was writers writers rooms on that thing where people were just throwing in. Yeah, their ideas their and, and something that's happened. We're, yeah, we're, as I say, we're doing a similar thing at the moment, and and it is it has what you realise is you sit down with me, James, Andy, and we we, we had a writer in the other day from the states, and as soon as he sits down with us, and we're sort of talking about you know one of us, Andy, going to a Christian camp, and um, when all the other cool kids went to Glastonbury, <laughs> you know, it, it's weirdly something that hits a chord with. All of us, you're like, oh yeah, that thing happened to me. Something like that happened to me. And, and whether you're from America or wherever you're from, everyone knows that feeling of, of not getting the girl or, or not oh. being there for the coolest moment. Yeah, yeah. I was remembering the other day that when I was young, all my mates had gone to scouts and they were having a great time. So I mentioned this to my mum and she announced proudly some few weeks later, right, well, I've signed you up for Boys Brigade. And it wasn't scouts. They didn't do anything. They sat indoors and threw beanbags at each other and talked about the Bible, you know. So right? for Hitler Youth, it's the same thing. <laughs> this, and also this does it, we've got to say how funny this is as well, because it's really good at doing, at playing that balancing trick of going, I'm going to put funny lines in here. Yeah. I felt like I've been shot straight through the tomato, you know, yeah. that sort of thing. But also having lines like, Growing up happens in a heartbeat. Yeah. And you go, wow. Yeah. Wow. You know, anybody would be proud of that line. That's great. Growing up happens in a heartbeat. One day you're in diapers. Next day you're gone. But the memories of childhood stay with you for the long haul. And it's also the um, the lesson that he learns with the gambling in in, mm, in that that's episode. That's a brilliant little scene. Yeah, and it's like just, a gangster movie. Yeah, and it, but it's like that's his, you know, because you throw it back and you remember him as such a, a little kid, you know, and you've sort of seen this journey to this guy now who's a little bit of a rebel, and he's, you know, he's actually for the first time in in that sort of last really just that last episode he's a bit of an arsehole mm. it's sort of actually you're, you're kind of like you've he's been your link he's been the guy that you've always championed yeah. and all of a sudden you're going actually i, I much prefer but then the moment you else. lose the moment you lose sympathy for him is the moment the series is over yeah, yeah. in a way because he's got to be that thing as scott mcleod brilliantly observed about most cartoon characters have very few features they're just two dots and a line yeah, yeah. like Charlie Brown or Tintin or Spider-Man because he's supposed to be you he's supposed yeah. to be everybody yeah, yeah. and the moment he gets tall and gangly or gets a beard or something he's going to stop being you he's going to have his own opinions you need him as a lump of unformed clay you yeah. better project yourself onto him and yeah the moment he's an arsehole you go well I wouldn't do that and yeah, then yeah. he stops being your representative and the show naturally is coasting off into the distance yeah it's point. leaving you isn't it I think that shows like that and shows like Modern Family it's what we do for a living it's so nice when you see something so finely crafted so brilliantly made yep. and it is that world where I'd, I'd love to sort of move into that genre, that family sort of sitcom genre and I look at one of the years I think that's that's they've done it better than anyone I can ever remember we need to wrap this up yeah. but I'm going to do the last question because it is kind of the elephant in the barn <laughs> 
Do they get it together in the barn where it cuts away from the barn? Oh, do they? What do you reckon? I think I think that's the moment. Yeah, I think they do. Yeah, I think they, they have, yeah, I think and we they, just don't see it no, because you don't, don't need, need to. See it. And also, it's in a barn. What do American teenagers do in bars? Um, yeah, I think I think it's and also but, and the look of it, the look on both their faces yeah. when I mean certainly push the red button now to see yeah. the explicit <laughs> bar footage. <laughs> <laughs> they get all straw in their bits and oh never mind. <laughs> this is not the show we signed up for. Yeah. <laughs> okay, we're just going to push it a little bit here. <laughs> Uh, yeah, in case they ask us to come back let's make sure we've burned all our bridges with the network because you know, the really canny thing to do with the story which maybe they did and but they were even cleverer than that is to go yeah maybe we did we're not going to tell you but they get it together and they go oh dear we should have stayed friends you know yeah. that because that that's a very common thing especially when you're young and kind of yeah, falling yeah. for someone is that you have fallen for the idea of them not the them yeah I mean that's and that's something weirdly I think only happens with experience right as, as yeah. any of us you know and I think that can happen in in romance. It can happen in friendship. You can you can meet people that it's the famous thing of thinking don't meet your heroes because mm. you can p- put someone in a place going God man I bet they're it's really cool hanging out with them I bet they're amazing and then you spend twenty minutes in their company and you're like oh fuck just people. yeah 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 God, and sometimes just... vile people yeah. that you're like oh right right well I'll just swear for you for the rest of my life we'll close the mics Tom so you can name names Tom yeah. Davis thanks for coming thank on you. Rule thank you for having me. I remember a place, a town, a house, like a lot of houses. A yard like a lot of other yards. On a street like a lot of other streets. <laughs> <laughs>